There comes different times in the life of a church that we come to these different points. And I think some of them are, are so pivotal and make all the difference. I just want to talk to you from my heart this morning. This week has probably been one of the hardest weeks, well, really the last few weeks, I've personally ever experienced at Community of Faith because we're a, a church that reaches so many people that are far from God and they're just learning as they come into this relationship with them how to trust them with their lives and with their finances. And because we are so dedicated to the vision of what God has shown us from the very beginning that we're to make a difference right here locally and also around the globe and we give about 30% of everything that comes in goes outside, back out, past our walls. Most churches in America give about 2% outside of their wall. And so I love that we, we do that. But because of those things, there's kind of come this time where I'm having to realign some of our resources so that we can continue to go forward really effectively doing what God has asked us to do. And that means that I'm downsizing some of our amazing staff. The rest of us are taking uh, some salary reductions. I'm taking double what everybody else is because that's what leaders are supposed to do. But everybody's taking a hit. But I don't want you to sit and feel sorry for us because that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Even if we lost our jobs this week or even if we took a salary reduction this week, we want to, this staff wants to take the hit internally so that our lost broken world doesn't have to do that. But you know, one of the things that I always see when there is something like this and you try to say, God, I don't understand exactly what you're doing because momentum is high and we're moving forward and we're seeing you move in such a powerful way. And you know, we, we see all of these things happening at the same time. I think that as I had some sleepless nights in the last few weeks, God began to reveal some of what his purpose is even in this. And here's what I think it is. God is calling all of us to something. He, he's, he's showing us something. See, I think every week there's thousands of us here and we love to go out and say to our friends and neighbors, I attend community of faith. But I think what God is wanting, that's pretty awesome, but I think what God has shown me is that he's allowed this moment because he's calling us all to something so much deeper. And he's asking all of us to serve. And asking all of us to do more. And I think his dream is not that we will say, I attend community of faith. I think he wants us to say, I am community of faith. And there's a world of difference between those two. I attend community of faith and I love it. Or I am community of faith of faith. It was even a harder week, I think, for Laura because Ryan died this week. He was an amazing kid. It was a tragic accident. She did his funeral yesterday morning. He was 28 years old. And he had just written this amazing uh, email to his mom, to his dad, the night before he died. It was a, it was a tragic accident where he was on the roof he worked in AC uh, doing air conditioning with his dad and uh, 
a tiny little stumble, but landing on a skylight that didn't hold, and it's over, it's done. Just like that. And it just reminded me so much how, how our life is, the Bible says it's like a, a vapor. It's, it's like the morning fog. You get up in the morning early in Houston, and you see this little bit of fog, but by the time it's, you, you get up and finally get a little bit more awake, it's already gone. That's, he said that's what our life is like. But Ryan's dad grabbed Laura yesterday. They had asked her, they said, you meant so much to him, Laura, and your soft-spoken words, but you always would have this faith and this thing that would go straight to his heart. And I know that he would want you to do the funeral. And his dad grabbed Laura and just held on to her after the funeral and said, you know, Ryan, he grew up in a traditional church and he went off to college and with all the anti-Christian rhetoric and stuff, that was there he got far away from God I wasn't even sure what he believed anymore but then a couple of years ago he found a community of faith and everything changed everything changed and friend after friend of his got up to speak about how Ryan had changed their life because God had changed his life it's crazy to me that he's not out there sitting right now with you because he's usually right out there but in every one of your seats there's a story you have a story and it's a story that God has for you to tell this lost and broken world around us and he wants us to be this family together that moves forward together you know 16 years ago Laura and I came back to Houston from being missionaries in Mexico and most of the time we were in Mexico City the last few months in the Yucatan. Uh, but when we came back, I, I had this dream. And a lot of you haven't, never have known what my dream was. What my dream was, I wanted to come back to the States and start like a little uh, mission sending agency and a mission agency where churches could be hands-on with mission and they could do it. And I, I would go around to different churches and say here's what we can do but I found that for many churches it was more like window dressing more like an advertisement you know like we do this and that but they would just put a little bit of money into different little groups and I was talking about the church itself like starting its own orphanage which is quite expensive and I so I got really discouraged and and, and I thought I, I don't understand God that was my dream and then as I was on my knees one night God said, I have a dream. I have a dream of an amazing, powerful church that will embody what mission is, that will embody what it is to be the church of God in America, what it is to be the church on mission with God. And I want you and Laura to start it. And if you'll give me your little dream, I'll give you my not-so-small dream. And so I did. And Community of Faith was born. It wasn't what we planned. It wasn't what we were going to do. But I don't know if you've ever felt the universe line up behind you in such a powerful way. It was as if God was knocking down every obstacle. We sent out that first mailer. We didn't have even, uh, you know, we, we didn't have a core group that we had started with. We had attracted a few people along the way. And I just sent out a, a mailer about a marriage series that we were doing and 182 people showed up 
And almost everyone was far from God. And it was so amazing because, I mean, everyone was cussing, swearing, smoking. It was awesome. It was like incense going up to God right there, you know. And they say that people always ask this question when they come to church. Who's here like me? And everyone goes, this church is amazing. It's like that New York cabbie told me not too long ago. He said, this place is effing amazing. But he used the word, you know. And I was like. It really is when you think about it, but <laughs> God is moving and, 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 and he's, he's doing things. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? And it just kept going from there. It was incredible. And we saw God in 2005, God put in the heart of one amazing couple to give us this land where we are right now and they did and everything that's happened since then has been because of that couple every single life change a few years later 800 of us had the opportunity to there was 800 people that said I want to give for a building on that land and God did this amazing thing where we built this $6 million building, that first one of ours. And then we ran out of room there. And your friends and neighbors who were far from God couldn't fit in anymore. And so we built this building a couple years ago. A lot of you were part of that. And everything that's happened since then has been because of those 800. And then because of those of you who were here when we built this building. And your lives and your children's lives have have changed in the 15 years since we've been a church this is the amazing thing I mean we're still a little teenager you know 15 years old but more than 12,000 people have been baptized here at Community of Faith that's amazing to me when you imagine that the average church in America baptizes about 7 people a year And 25,000 of us have stepped into a relationship with Christ for the very first time here. And we see that, and it's changed things. I want you to picture the first time, if you're pretty recent to this church, picture the first time that you ever entered community of faith. It probably didn't enter your mind. I wonder who built this church, about the 800 that helped build the building. I wonder who decided what it would look like where it would be located. And then this room, those of you who were part of building this room, I I wonder who put this together. The lawn was mowed, the flowers were around, seats were open, and you just showed up. And maybe you had to climb a little bit because it's kind of steep back there, I get it. But never once thought about the fact that this this used to be only a grassy field out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, this is the grassy field where George Bush shot an endangered bird and got in big trouble for it. Right about where I'm sitting. Google it later. Not right now on your phone. Don't be doing that. <laughs> this is the field out in the middle of nowhere, you know. But experts tell us by 2050, this will be the geographic center of Houston. Now, I probably might not be around then. I don't know, but that's amazing to me. 
Maybe we'll call it the suburb of Austin. I don't know. But, you know, it, 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 it's, it's crazy. And all this life change in 15 short years. Nothing short of a miracle. Not my miracle. Not Laura's miracle. God's miracle. God's dream. I can't tell you what a privilege it's been just to get to see it. To just get to see it up close and personal. And that's what our staff has gotten to do. But here's what I believe that God's showing me. Now it's your turn. It's your turn. You get to do for the next generation what was done for you. God has called us to touch our entire world. Not to forget our family, our friends, our neighbors all around either. When we first came back, I was amazed that 65% of Cyprus claims no church affiliation. Did you know that? Now it's 63%. You know why I think that is? Because of you. It's dropped a couple of percent. It's got a long way to go, doesn't it? Most churches, they start to attract believers. And that's their whole point. And so you'll see a church grow and another church shrink. Another church grow and three churches shrink. You find a really fast growing church sometimes and you think, oh, the, all these other churches are shrinking. That never happened with us. We weren't pulling from other churches like that. The only ones that came in were the ones that had this strong vision that had been longing for a place where they could bring their unchurched friends and neighbors. But we're one of the deepest places around. Sometimes people go, oh, that's the church for unchurched people. Yeah, it is, and we love that. If you're here today and you're far from God, you're in the right place. But let me tell you, I'm talking to you today, those of you who have been here for a while. We're deep. We go deep. Application is the deepest form of learning. Experts tell us, learning experts. And, and that's what we do every week. We really dig in. And I found that those of you who are far from God, you don't want some, like, just soft-pedaled thing. You want truth, and truth you know, I mean, sometimes it just smacks us right between the eyes, doesn't it? But that's okay, because that's what sets us free. And so, I'm here today to tell you that something good is coming. Something amazing is right here. And I feel like there's always this sense, Nietzsche, the philosopher used to say, you have to go through the tunnel of chaos to give birth to the dancing star. Laura and I saw that in our marriage. I thought the tunnel of chaos was never going to end in those early years. But through a lot of counseling, seeking after God hard, God did some things and turned it around. That's what we've been able to share with you to see your marriages turned around. But I believe the greatest thing that you can do outside of raising your own kids to love God and your own grandkids to love God is to impact, invest, serve at community of faith. Because this place is going to outlast us. 50 years, 100 years from now, this place is going to be here. And people's lives are going to be being changed. And we're going to see that. I want you to pull out your sermon notes for just a minute. Because I want to show you a, a couple of quick things that really have has struck me. There's a couple of words in the scripture for time. There's... Chronos, it's a Greek word. Scripture was, New Testament was written in Greek. It means chronological time or clock time. You know, the tick, tick, tick of time. The passage of time. But there's another word, kairos. And it's used just a few times 
in the scripture and it's kairos, it's, it's the word time. And so most of, most of the time we will translate it just time and translate them the same, but they're nothing the same. Kairos is where time and eternity intersect, determining the future. It's, it's like these moments, these choice moments, these pivotal moments in time that, that determine everything about everything that is to come. And God brings us to these. And one of my jobs as your pastor is to discern Kairos moments for us. And I feel like this is one of those times. I really feel like it is. And I'm uh, not one of those who believes that, that God's plan for his church is to be small and inwardly focused and, you know, us four and no more and we like it that way. I believe that we're to make a difference in the community around us. The promise of God was for the salvation of our families and for our neighbors and for the nations. We're to be a light to the nations and that's what I've seen you already start to be but what the future holds is so much more. It's interesting to me that that first church in Jerusalem the very first day 3,000 people came to faith in Christ and were baptized and a couple of days later 5,000 more and a lot of times people just think of that first church as oh they were just this tiny little group gathered over in the corner but experts and, and historians and church historians tell us that there may have been as many as 100,000 people in the first church in Jerusalem and there was only 200,000 people that lived in Jerusalem can you imagine what that would look like around here? 63% of those that you work with and that you love and that you're on your street, they don't belong anywhere. They don't know God. They don't have any church affiliation. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, this is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. That's from the Message Bible, and I like that because sometimes when we say that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, we're thinking that the gates of hell, you know, are, are it, it, it's like they're coming, they're coming at us. They're after us, you know, and, and that's not what it's saying. It, it's saying that we're going out and those gates of hell that have been erected and put up there, they're not going to hold. The church is going to just bust right through them. The gates of hell that are out there on Westheimer and Bissonette with the sex trafficking community of faith is just going to break those down and see miracles happen. And we've already started to see that begin. The gates of hell that are around us, even in our pristine, beautiful subdivisions you know those master plan communities but some of our friends and our neighbors in their homes that's they're so empty and they're so thirsty and they're so hungry for something different than just this comfort and the American dream and suburbia and their kids especially are dying I believe we don't challenge our kids enough to say this is what it means to say I'm in for God. It means that you give your life up. And so they're going out doing risky things for no reason instead of risking their life for the purpose of God. 
the way God intended for it to be. Some of you got some of those risk takers. And I'm telling you, as they grow up, you better focus them on the kingdom of God. Risk it. My daughter in Chiang Mai right now in Thailand, they're saying, we're going to risk it all for God. When Laura and I left for Mexico City and we took our kids and I thought, you know, this is crazy. It's, it, it's like smoking 13 cigarettes just to breathe the air every day. You know that? In Mexico City. The big advantage is you don't have to buy smokes. You just get a straw, you know? That's what I told my mission board, but they didn't laugh when I said that. They said, why Mexico City? And I told them that, and they, were, they, did, they didn't have any sense of humor. I'm surprised they still sent me. But <laughs> Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, that's our Cyprus. That we're going to be witnesses. Some of us think, well, I don't know how to, I, I don't know what God wants me to be a witness. What does a witness do? Does a witness all a witness does is, let me tell you what I've experienced. They say, Mr. Shook, you're on the stand. You've sworn on the Bible. Would you like to tell the court what you saw, what you heard, what you felt? That's all it is. And you see, it's all about Jesus. I think one of the marks of a false church is everybody talks about the church and not about Jesus. And, and so, you know, oh, this ch oh, the church, the church, and all this stuff. Look at that. Look at our building. Look at this and look at that. That's why we always have these simple buildings. This building should have cost three times more than it did, but we just built it so inexpensive. Don't worry up there. It's not going to fall in, okay? But we just do it simple. I mean, it's concrete floors and even the tile that we got back there, we, it was amazing because we got it cheaper than the concrete. I don't know how you do that, but God did that. And we have all the brown chairs so you can spill your coffee on them and the people coming in the next service can sit on it without knowing it. <laughs> yeah, right. But God is, God is moving here. It's just functional. I like the word facilities because it facilitates us. You know why? This is not the church. You are the church. You are. And the church is out there every day. Not just in here. This is, this is where we just gather together for a little while to, to kind of go, let's go get them. Let's, let's get our water pistols ready because we're going after the gates of hell, right? So that's what I love about you. That's that's what you do. Now, I hope you're not feeling bad right now because, you know, poor little God is out of money and I need to spot him a little bit this week for his work on earth. I, I'm super proactive. I've already taken care of that, okay? We're realigned. All is well. I'm talking about so much more than that. That's not what this message is about. God doesn't need our money. In fact, one of the verses that I love... <laughs> That God says in Psalm 50, 12 through 15, let me just read it to you. If I were hungry, says God, do you think I would tell you? For all that I've created, the fullness of the earth is mine. Am I fed by your sacrifices? Of course not. Why don't you bring me the sacrifices I desire? Bring me your true and sincere thanks and show your gratitude by keeping your promises to me, the Most High. Honor me by trusting in me in the day of your trouble. Cry aloud to me and I will be there to rescue you. 
God has no needs. He's never had one. And if he ever did have one, he wouldn't come to us for it, would he? I mean, if he, he says, you know, I just can't do this without you, Mark. It's just impossible when he can just snap his fingers and messengers of fire that move at the speed of light bow before him to do his will and his bidding, you know? Or we just couldn't sing that song with, without, without that. Some of you, you, you don't sing out loud because you say, I can't sing like them. And you know what? I'm not sure what that sounds like to God, any of us singing, honestly. Because he's created creatures that their whole being is music. Everything about them, just, it's just animated out. It just, I, I can't even describe it. But some of the angels, it says day and night, it's like this crazy symphony. And it's just one of them. So he wouldn't say, I'd really like for you to sing that song because your voice oh, it just blows me away. You know what he says? He says, little girl, when you sing, I love it because you're mine and you're singing to me. Guy, I know you look around and it seems like everybody's going like this, you know, that's by you. Not me. I love it. I eat it up. You're my little son. See, my, my kids, they used to draw pictures of me when, when I was preaching, when they were little, like three, four, five. They would sit in the service sometime and they'd draw a picture and you know, what the picture looks like. It's just like a big head and legs and arms. That's, that's one of the stages of drawing for kids. You know, you've seen that. No hair, a little bit of a beard, you know. And when David, my son, would show me that, Daddy, I, I drew you today, and I would look at it and i go, that is pitiful. That looks nothing like, I am not a big head. Did I do that? No, I was going like, oh, you just like me. That is so awesome. You are so gifted. <laughs> You're so amazing. You're so, I mean, this isn't, wow. That is me. That is my big head right there. That is, a, look, y'all look just like me. Put it up on the fridge. Not because it was, you know, some kind of Rembrandt kind of thing. It's because it's my son, David. That's how God feels about you. See, if you read the Bible, there was a time when they needed some money and Jesus said to, to Peter, well, go down and, and fish. And he goes, what? And so he gets this fish and when they cut it open, there's like a gold coin. The, the fish had eaten a gold coin. I mean, he doesn't need you. He got fish, right? And when the father sneezes, I mean, like whole universes come out, right? Fully furnished and it, he doesn't need us. But write this down. When Jesus talks about generosity, he's not after our money. He's after our hearts. See, Jesus once saw this little woman. His disciples are there and they're at the, the temple. And people are coming in and, and they used to like take their gold coins and stuff. And they would drop them from a great height into the, you know, into the offering basket that made a lot of noise. And it went, you know. And it just, I mean, so everybody, look at all those gold coins that guy dropped in. Wow, he must really love Jesus. This little widow comes and she has two mites. I've seen a mite. They're tiny, they're little from back in that day. It's just a tiny little coin. It's worth not even a whole penny in our money today. It's not even worth that. And she gave those two things and Jesus stopped everything right there with his disciples back in the corner and goes, 
whoa, stop right there. God is pleased with that because she gave everything she had. She just did it. I just saw it. See, sometimes people go like, well, why can't the rich? I'm barely making it. I, we, I know we don't understand biblical giving then when we say that because write this down. The question is not how much does God need and am I able to supply it? The question is what statement does my giving make to God about his value to me? God's way is not to approach us with needs. In fact, the Bible says that you shouldn't be have this compulsion pushed down on you. If anyone ever does that, then you just tell them, my pastor, Mark Shook, told me not to give you anything. Because that's not why you give. You don't give in response to needs. That's why you see on TV, you know, oh, look at those poor kids. Look at, look at that. And they're just showing you all these pictures and pulling at your heartstrings and all this stuff. And, and that's not how God wants us to give. When we're mature, we give to God out of our hearts. Our gratitude. We give that back to him. And, and it's part of this adventure that, uh, of a heart that wants to give back to God and join him in his great work. And be a part of a purpose that's so much bigger than us that will outlast us. That is the reason for everything. and The things he wants to do for us and in us and through us. See, the question really for every one of us that calls ourselves Christian is, I know my mouth talks a good game because I'm an American Christian. What does my wallet say? Does it betray me? What about serving? Are you serving somewhere at Community of Faith? Have you plugged in? See, there shouldn't be any spectators at church, I went to a small group. It was our Spanish-speaking small group. And I found it. They meet on Wednesday nights upstairs in a room. And it smelled like tamales or something. And I said, this is my small group. I'm finding it right now. And I got there, and it was so amazing. They had food from El Salvador and Mexico and Spanish-speaking small group. But you know what was so amazing about that group? My friend Jave leads it. They're involved in every aspect. They're out there greeting. They're, they're, they're working in, in the cafe. They're, they're going on mission. They're, they're, it's, that's the most amazing small group ever. And they're there for each other in good times and bad. That's the church, being the church. You know, there's a big difference between being a spectator, a Christian, and a follower of Jesus. Being a fan or a follower. Because the thing about fans, I've seen it at Texan games. Have you ever seen this? Now the Rockets and the Astros, you know, they've been winning a lot. It's a whole different thing. But the Texans, they are still painful to me. Okay? And, and so people will dress up and they'll put on a 99 on their, on their jersey. You know, they have that jersey and, and, and they'll have someone's name on the back. And, but they're not part of the team. They're just a fan. And you know what happens in the fourth quarter when we've gotten like three quarterbacks knocked out and the next last one is like just... Sucking wind. You know what? You know what a fan does after. Well, while they're out there, the team is rallying around. They're sweating and trying harder than they've ever to finish out this game. And even if they're losing and they're trying their best, and a, a fan's like stuffing their face with their fifteenth hot dog and going, "Boo, boo!" What is that coach thinking? Boo, coach. Boo, people. 
can't believe I paid this much money to come here and watch this. Right? That's a fan, and fans can turn. But a, but a part of the team, that's what I want us to be. Part of the team. That's what we're to be. The church moving forward. The gates of hell can't stand against us. I am community of faith. I want you to consider what it looks like to, to be part of that. To be part of the mission. We're at a very strategic time in the life of our church. And even with the downsizing and the things that we've done, that means I need you more than ever to volunteer and be a part. And I believe that God's always been trying to get us to always keep focused. Keep focused. Say, so have a very small staff and a lot of really committed volunteers. That kind of goes against the culture. Because most of us in America would like to come and go, I attend community faith and I love it and that was really good and yay and now I'm going to go eat. That's not what God's calling us to. Did you know that 80% of the adults who attend community of faith give very little to the church and 50% of those who attend give nothing? Did you know that 80% of the people that attend community of faith don't serve anywhere at community of faith? And I want that to change. And I'm talking about you. If you've been here for any length of time, it's time. This is Kairos. This is the moment. This is the time. His death opens the door for us for this precious relationship, his most precious gift. It's relationship and our most precious gift back, trusting, trusting his heart. It's our only gift we have to give back to God. Listen to what Brandon Manning said. He said, trust is our only gift we have to give back to God. And he finds trust so enchanting that Jesus died for the love of it. The brilliant ethicist John Cavanaugh went to work for three months with Mother Teresa in her house of the dying. And she said, what can I pray for you? And he said, I want you to pray for me. I've brought this with me across the ocean. I want you to pray for me for clarity. I need to know what to do with my life. I want clarity. And she said, I won't pray for that. And he was kind of stunned that this little lady's going, I'm not going to pray for that. She said, I'm not going to pray for clarity. Clarity is what you're holding on to and trying to get. You don't need clarity. And he said, well, you always seem like you always have clarity. She said, I've never had clarity. What I have is trust. She said, I'll pray for you for trust, that you'll trust the Father's heart and take the next step into it. Changed everything for him. Because it's not about giving. It's not about serving. It's about trust. Are you all in? Think of it this way. When you had your bacon and eggs this morning, the pig and the chicken both contributed but the pig was all in, okay? I want you to be in, all right? We're gonna get in together. Let me just read this to you. My dear community of faith, you look hungry. Hungrier than even anything I've seen on the mission field because as I watched that tiny Batwa woman in Burundi in the heart of Africa, the woman with no shoes and no husband and seven kids, and she walked up to the front of the church, put a bag of beans 
in the basket as her love offering to God, my heart ached with a conviction and I could feel it with you, community of faith. What you really wanted. You're hungry to love God like this woman loves God. You're hungry to sacrifice, even if it costs you your Starbucks venti caramel macchiato or your Netflix subscription, but you long for something more. You're hungry for more than vanilla services and sweetened programs and watered-down lives. You're famished for more, for hard and for holy things, for real meat for your starved soul, some real dirt under your fingernails, some real sacrifice in your veins, some real Jesus in your blood and in your hands and in your feet. I'm looking into the eyes of all these little African children, all these hungry, dancing eyes, and their teacher saying, you all get to give. It's not just the rich who get to give. You don't wait until you have more before you give more to God. You give now so you become more in God. And the children are all smiling and singing, and they bring their only plantain to Jesus or their only mango to Jesus, and they just can't help it. They start dancing. They always break into dancing and the dust because it's so dusty rises up like clouds of praise it's not having much that makes you rich it's giving much that makes you rich give and you are the rich and I'm sitting under a thatched roof in Africa with the richest in the world it's not Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Mark Zuckerberg and it's not the family with multiple cars and three flat screen televisions and a week at Disney a bunch of kids in Africa in ripped shirts, torn shoes. They don't have knives or forks. They sleep on dirt floors. It's only the people who give sacrificially who get to live that richly. I look around in America and I see churches who love playing at being Christian more than to actually be one and to give themselves away for our lost, broken world. But community of faith that is not us. I'm standing in Cyprus, Texas, and there's a church. A church that wants hard and holy things. And it is us because we want more than hollow lives. There's a church, and it is us. We want our children to know the abundant life, not the American dream. A life more than self focus and cell phones and iPhones and iTunes and iPads and I love. We want our children to know the abundant life of loving the least and the lonely and the lost and tasting and knowing that the Lord is good. Community of faith, it's time. We're all done with no risk, no sacrifice, no point lives. It's our time. It's our time. Time. It's Kairos. My heart has begun to beat in time with my father's heart. I'm a Jesus follower. I've chosen God's dream. I am community of faith.